Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I, I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm all giggles. I'm all giggles and teeth right now because I have a great guest that all of my guests are great, but this one, this one is really, really taking a cake. Uh, my next guest I'm really excited to introduce is an arts writer, art critic, and art curator. Uh, he's the editor-in-chief and the co-founder of the arts online magazine, Hyperallergic. Please welcome Rag Vartanian. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Rob. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. Um, it's it's really cool. I love I love the background, by the way. No one else can see this, so this is just for me, guys. Uh, I love the background. It's just so much great art behind you. I'm just like taking a look right now, so just all teeth. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just, you know, it's like we got to live with it, too, because, I mean, we love it, right? And the, we got to have it around us. And it's like, and I don't understand people who live in uh, empty homes or... <laughs> or even just with like, you know, with things they don't love. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, this is why we do it, right? 100%. Um, I, I, I go back to years and years and years ago, and I'm going to get back to my actual introduction, but I, I, I want to share this. Um, I was in, um, I had my at my first apartment it was a studio apartment, and literally it served two purposes. It was my studio and my studio apartment. So I'm like, look, my bed is right there. Don't disrespect it. <laughs> and I remember one of my friends, I was in like one of these, these patches where I just was feeling like creatively stifled and wasn't sure if I wanted to continue podcasting. And he was telling me, he's like, why are your walls bare? He's like, you need to have stuff here that you love. That, that was literally the piece of advice that I got. So as you can see now, I, I it doesn't have any semblance to it. It's just my wall is littered. I want to have those red strings showing the connections, <laughs> but my wall is littered with stuff that I just dig. And I think as things become more and more digital, this is an idea I've been playing with. We're more aware of what we're bringing into our space, the tangibles, because things are so digital. Right. And I don't know about you, but one of the things I love is I love bringing in things that I really haven't made up my mind about or something that's really obscure and I'm still trying to figure out because it gives me that chance to do that, right? Yeah. And so I want to push myself, right? I don't want just things that I just love purely. I want things that are like, why am I uncomfortable with that sometimes? Yeah. Why is that? Like, you know, it's like you want to keep, keep kind of getting to that place where you're like, I want to be able to reevaluate what I think once in a while. Right, right. I'm do the same this. thing at all? Do do I, I, I try. Um, I... And I know I said before we start, I was going to omit that. But uh, yeah, like I have here, I was very, I did this period where I was painting um, once a month, a couple of years back, like maybe six, seven years at this point. And um, I was doing a painting per month. And I was like, this is very, I haven't painted in a long time. So I don't know if I'm going to maintain this, right? right? And I'm looking at them here and I'm like, why did I choose to put these paintings in the studio versus some of the other paintings that I've did that are in other parts of the house or I have maybe three pieces of found art, you know, one's like this framed magazine from like the 80s that just spoke to me for whatever reason. And it's on this side of the studio, the stuff that's facing me, whereas the stuff that's behind me maybe has like a different appeal or different reasoning. Right. No, it's true. I think we all sort of grapple with this stuff and yeah. try to figure out what works for us. Absolutely. So. Um, I want to go into some some questions that we have because I could just I could just ramble on and I'm a rambler, rambling Rob. <laughs> Not at all. Come on, let's do it. So I can't, I can't wait to get into it. So if you will, um, very introductory level, um, could you share like ultimately like your story and if you can include in there like how did hyperallergic come to be and what was your initial your initial thinking? 
Sure. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for that question. You know, so um, a little bit about my background. Um, I was born in Syria, raised in Canada. I've lived in Lebanon, moved to New York afterwards, been here like about 20 years or so to kind of give you a little bit of the arc <laughs> of like where I've lived. Um, you know, and I think as a kid, one of the things I, I really sort of was exposed to was different kinds of museums around the world, right? Um, yeah. my, my parents sent me to summer camp in the Soviet Union, believe it or not. And I saw Soviet museums. I, I visited family in Syria and saw museums there. I saw museums here. And I realized as a kid, these were really cool, but they were all telling really different stories. And then I got into art history because I realized my passion was not just writing, but writing about art and being yeah. kind of connected with the visual thing. And I always told to tell people that my passion is text and image and that relationship. So you could imagine as an art writer, it's sort of a good fit. Yeah. Um, but then I left graduate school hating art or at least feeling like I hated art because I felt like they sort of like all the theorizing and different things kind of ripped out the pleasure of it. And I felt like I was just intellectualizing everything. And that's not really why I got into things. As important as that is, I didn't want that to be like sort of my first reaction to things. So it took me a while to get back into it. Um, and then I started writing art again, about art again a few years afterwards uh, when I ended up in New York. And, you know, it's hard to avoid art in New York. You know, it's sort of like one of those things. It was just you know, I got back into it slowly, started writing. But then I realized that there wasn't a place for the ideas I wanted to pursue and the kinds of ideas that I was interested in. Um, but also, you know, at the time I was dating, uh, who's currently my husband, Viken, who's the publisher of Hyperallergic. And, you know, he's an educated guy. He has many advanced degrees, but he really didn't enjoy any of the art writing and he didn't understand it. And he was just sort of like, I don't get why I should care about this. Right. And I realized there was a real sort of, um, you know, there was clearly there was something not working here, right? Where someone like him who loves art, you know, loves going to museums, felt like there wasn't something for him to really sort of learn about art in a real engaged, passionate way. Yeah. On my side, it was also a venue for art, but also one that was unapologetically dealing with politics, right? And not as like this side thing that it's something art does once in a while, it's as an integral part looking at the system and what the system is and how it works and and the types of images we circulate and why, and why certain artists you know excel over others and all these types of ideas. So he introduced me to blogging really uh, at first and I got real, I loved it. I was like, I fish to water, I was like, Blogging, blogging. Oh, this is awesome. I love this. I love this. Um, and I got, and I realized that it was a real missing uh, part of the work I did because often as writers, we'll write something and, you know, it'll be published in a few years or in a few months. And sometimes you even forgot you wrote it by the time it comes out. You know, it becomes one of these things you're like, oh, right, that was five months ago or something. Right. And, but, and I didn't feel like that was a productive way to have conversations, frankly. Yeah. I wanted to have much more. Uh, real-time conversations around art and online became that place um, at the same time nobody was getting paid for online writing um, at the time and if it was it was sort of super rare so we were like okay let's try this let's see where this goes Vikan had this passion about he wanted to get writers paid because obviously his partner was a writer <laughs> <laughs> like you need to get that money babe like right, gonna this right so we were like okay let's start and worst comes to worst this will lead to other projects for us right like i could get a job editing he can get a job building websites sites or something. Um, and so we sort of started that way. And then we realized quickly that there was a real, um, 
there was a real hunger for this and what yeah. we were doing in, in terms of creating digital native conversations around art and visual culture that were unapologetically political, that were engaged, that were not afraid to have strong opinions. I mean, just today, we published a really strong review of um, a book about Tibetan art that, you know, essentially calls it the equivalent of like, uh, you know, sexual tourism in a way, um, you know, visual, like a visual kind of like publications don't normally do that, right? right? You know, they don't, they don't do that. And I have a lot of complicated ideas why I think public because I think people think there's certain forces that don't exist when they attribute to why there are no negative reviews. But if you want to get into that, we're ha happy to do that. Um, <laughs> so, so we created this publication. And um, for the first three and a half years, I had a I had a job. Yep. You know, we needed my health care. We needed, you know, we needed all that. Beacon did side gigs and he did a lot of consulting and uh, we had to pay the bills. And but at the same time, from day one, we decided we're going to be as professional as possible and keep raising the bar. Right. Yep. And so we had our first full time employee, I think, at year three, even before I went full time, believe it or not. Um, then we sort of started, you know, hiring people slowly, realized that there was a way to sort of sustain this slowly. And then this, you know, the whole system changed, which frankly made online even more important um, so we could kind of excel. And then I think with the pandemic, people's behaviors have all gone online. You know, even the stragglers that were like being really shy about it. Um, and that really helps supercharge what we do. Um, and now it's it's we, you know, we're passionate about, you know, we have 13 full time employees. You know, they have 401ks. We just raised our freelance rates. So now we're paying from 250 to $500 for our, you know, it's like and like if if you asked me eight years ago if we could do that, even we've been around 13 years, I would have been like, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's you know, great. Like, like last year, we had, we added parental leave to our benefit. You know, it's like all these things were like, okay, how are we going to make, how are we going to raise the bar so that the field also we'd like to change this whole narrative that writing just doesn't pay at all or this idea idea that the art anything in the art world is like charity you know and that we're all underpaid i think we need to change that right yeah. but in order for that to change it's also got to we also have to think of our roles a little bit as as connected to an audience and a public and i think one thing in our field we often don't think enough about is our audiences do you know because we expect our audience just to like kind of come along with whatever we do and just mm -hmm. applaud. And that's just not the way it works. You know, that's yeah. not the way you work with an audience, right? Um, and so I think that's something that we've been really passionate about. So that's a very short answer. <laughs> um, I hope that works. I'm happy to elaborate on anything. No, that was that was great. And I, I definitely saw sort of like correlation. Um, I, I go back to this, this, this one part where and the, the thought that happened, I would only go back to the thought that I'm having as, as the person that is speaking, because it's like, okay, I relate in that way. Um, and this this notion where there is an appetite for sort of talking in, in an authentic way about this. And that's how I think in, in sort of this podcast, um, over well over 500 episodes at this point, most of them kind of took off. Thank you. It was hard to get them early on um, when it started in 2019, the end of 2019. But once 2020 happened, it's like, oh, I have a place as an artist where I can just speak like yeah. candidly about my work, but also about who I am as a person. And there, there's an appetite for that. And and I think just kind of shifting it like 
you go to certain podcasts or, or certain people who are talking about art or talking to artists. And I hear this all the time from, from writers to visual artists, so on that they're like, yeah, I've had the same conversations with all of these different outlets. Yours is different yep. though. And I was yep. like, hopefully That's good. Great. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think also just, you know, I think what we both did really was we responded by like listening and like responding to what people were looking for. Right. You came up at a time where people were then eager for conversations like this. Right. And we, we came up at a time where social media had started being a big thing and they people wanted like this information in their feeds in different way. And we were really kind of both of us were listening. Right. And, and we're responding to an audience. And I think that's why you know, audiences respond to what we do because they know someone's listening. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of publications and podcasts and others are all about just broadcasting information to other people yeah. rather than being engaged with other people. Yeah, people will ask, like, you know, where are, are you? I've had conversations with a few curators. It's like, this is done very well. This is great and so on. Technically, this is sound. But where is the U.S. that's not speaking? Where's the feeling or even going back to uh, one of the things you said earlier, I had a, um, I have a uh, person that I relate to as uh, my, my boss in the day job. We all have those. And yeah. uh, they, I was telling them like, what I was doing. I was like, yeah, I'm going to take a couple of days off. I got some interviews to do in different states. And I think, oh, you're doing that now? I was like, I am. And she was like, I don't get art. Hard stop. And I was like, I, I, was like, I don't know what to say there. Uh, <laughs> It's well, like when someone says, I don't get music. It's like, it's a broad, it's a very broad thing. Well, I mean, I think sometimes, and that's a really good point, Rob. It's like, I think sometimes people, what they're saying when they're saying that is, I want to, I had nobody who's had the patience to work with me through this, yeah. you know? And it's like, I think about like, what were my experiences that I were able to do that? And they weren't necessarily with art in the traditional way. Like with my mom, it was with handicrafts and the craft she would do mm -hmm. and like the needlework and stuff. But I was able to like develop an appreciation for something that I didn't quite understand, right? And I think that kind of started the tools for me yeah. of like, somebody just had to sit me down and be like, okay, you may not get this, but this is why it's important, even if you don't like it. Like, you know, it's like there's there's a certain kind of process that kind of goes along with that. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for that. This 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 is going well, if I must so, say so. Okay. Well, Rob, so can we talk about why there why there's less negative criticism in the world? Can we just yes, talk we about can. that? Quickly? Yes, we Wait. absolutely can. My quick theory. Just guy, I wanna because I have never talked really about this. So it's like this is kind of like just for your podcast, like you know, right now, unless I write something later about it. But I think it's because most people don't have uh the emotional maturity to deal with it. Mm. I think that's really the reason it doesn't happen. People don't want the feedback. Like if you write something critical in the world and someone doesn't agree with you, which is going to inevitably be happen with strong opinions, right? People don't have the ability to process that because so many people in our field are really just doing it to be liked by other people. How's that? How's that? I, no, I, I like that. I like that. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of... I, I, share, I share that where I've talked to folks and I start asking questions of like, wh where's the audience in, in, the, in the most macro sense in mm -hmm. your within your process? Are you considering them at all? No, it's just kind of like, but you're putting it out there, though. That's right. So where, it has to be at least a consideration. Um, even when I'm doing this and I was very like, no, this is for me, man. No one else because I'd been doing it at that point for about 10 years before putting it out there for like, this is definitely done with an intention of 
I think this is a community thing that connects people in that way. So mm-hmm. people want to share that feedback. They feel invested in that way and they feel um, connected to me um, to whatever degree that they they feel comfortable with. Like, oh, yeah, that's Rob right there. I see him. That's the big guy. And, you know, so I have to be mindful of that when I'm putting out content. And even when I'm putting out um, um, interviews, it's even considerate of like the artist as well, because there are some times where it's like you don't you don't come off sounding great here. You sure you don't want to re-record this or it's like this might do more harm than good while still trying to maintain authenticity. You know, you don't want to have here's, you know, that sort of editorial thing. Hey, here's this thing I'm going to write. You review it before I put it out. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. But that, that's that's great. I'm glad because, you know, that's exactly what happens sometimes. It's like with artists, sometimes they don't know how to describe their own work and they're still working through the ideas. So you want to give them the space to do that without like shooting themselves in the foot. Right. Yeah. Like to be like, well, OK, but you may be talking like that in your studio, but, you know, we're talking public. Right. And so it's like, you know, take a second. Think about it. I'm a fan of that. I'm a fan of doing that. So I want to I want to get this this from you, uh, since I think this is kind of the, the trajectory in which the conversation is shifting toward, like from an art and from an artist uh, arts advocacy lens. What are like three things aside from money? Because I think money's too easy, right? right. Um, that that artists need today. Um, I like to get a sense on that question because you know people say, oh, you know, they need space and the opportunity to create and so on. But what do, what's your take in that area? I think the thing that a lot of artists are looking for that they sometimes don't want to admit is a sense of community. And I think that's what kind of art school often does for them, right? It creates a sense of community from disparate people who may not have met any other way in their lives, right? And I think a lot, one of the things I've seen, especially in the last 10 years, um, that concerns me, I have to admit, is that sense of neighborhood, art neighborhoods, is kind of dissipating. Mm. the way it used to like here i live in williamsburg like williamsburg was a neighborhood 20 years ago right where Mm. there were artists and people would be going to each other's openings and stuff you know then i you know bushwick was one of the others right but the sense of neighborhood isn't sort of forming in the same way it used to and i think that's a real that's going to be a problem like i don't think online is going to be able to supplement all that and sure it allows people who may live in more regional places or uh far away from sort of the core the so-called centers of the art world that helps them sort of feel connected but i do think like even in the in in major hubs that sense of community is being frayed a little bit and i think that's a real problem um because i mean you need it you need you need that like you know if you want to if you learn from each other about technique or you want to support each other doing unpopular work or whatever, it's like that's going to happen because of a sense of community, right? At the yeah. end of the day, someone's going to make you tea when you come home or someone is going to invite you over for their like dog's birthday or whatever. You know, it's like, but, <laughs> but that's a sense of community, right? That's going to, that's, that's, you know, so you can kind of leave yourself. So I think that's a one of the big things. Um, the other thing is I think there needs to be like artists, as much as I love this idea of artists being in the same boat, I think we have to just accept that the field is big enough that all artists are not in the same boat. 
Right. You know, some people come from extreme privilege and the, you know, and uh, what I call like they try to like, you know, uh, pretend that they don't or something or other people like I think we have to understand there are different kinds of artists and they serve different purposes and not that one is more valid than the other, but they're not the same thing. You know, it's like if you're uh, an artist that's trying to push the envelope aesthetically in different ways, you're not the same as someone who's doing like, you know, uh, portraits or something like in a more conventional way. And I'm not saying that to discount them, but I do think we have to think of the field more diversely, but in the same time, more expansively. So like, for instance, a lot of art people don't consider illustrators part of our mm -hmm. field. And I actually think they're part of our field. You know, absolutely, as well as some other people that, um, you know, people don't traditionally associate with artists. So that's another thing. Like, I think there has to be both a complexity in our thinking about what an artist is and who they are, but also in um, not sort of just throwing them all in the same boat, you know, um, yeah. in that. So and now my third point, let's see about what artists uh, need. You know, I don't know whether I I would love artists to think more um, beyond objects. Mm. I think there is still a fixation on objects in our field. Mm. And I think we need to start um, diversifying what artists can do beyond creating objects. And not that artists aren't doing that, because I think they are. But I don't think the popular uh, the audience or the popular imagination has gone there yet. Do you know? So and and this is what I mean by that, like, like, we can't I don't think we're going to sustain the field in a way that we all are still loving it if all we're doing is selling luxury commodities, right? I think an artist should be able to do a residency at a hospital and like, you know, figure out a way to like make people's lives more interesting and aesthetically uh, challenging and different things. I think artists should be, you know, involved in maybe with teaching with students in different ways. And, and I just think we have to expand what those ideas can be. So, thank you. I, I like the expansion idea, and, I, and again, as I'm I'm taking notes because uh, th this is absolutely the version that I'm looking for here. It's like, oh yeah, these are different questions. All of my questions are gone now. I just have a whole series of different <laughs> questions now. But um, willing to go in any direction you want. Absolutely, and 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 I and I think I think you're 100 right there where. Um, you know, I think being able to stretch what the boundaries are. Like, I I tell people when I'm doing this, like I'm somewhere in the middle. I, I have this sort of spot where I'm an outsider. It's like I'm helping facilitate the storytelling. That's that's the way that I like to look at what I do. And um, but when it comes to sort of funding and trying to grow it to, all right, maybe these folks should be in this conversation. Oh, we don't know if that's art enough. Like maybe you should talk to this muralist or this this painter or what have you. And it's like, that's great. Or if you want funding, you should really think about doing it this way. It's like, that's not what I'm doing. Have you right. have you thought about video? It's not what I'm doing. Like right. I'm doing these sorts of things and this is why I'm doing it. And um, but I find I've talked to people who are are like artistically inclined or who are in the field who are doing various things, whether it be photographers, whether it be filmmakers. I look at what your work is, is anthropology or journalism or this or that. Talk to folks that are in this sort of funding space in terms of what do artists need. Um, yeah, we don't know where to classify you. We, we don't really have that in our our, our makeup currently. That's the, there's the weird. issue there. There's yeah. the issue. The categories, the categories still, still are like checklists, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's the bucketing thing that, that happens and folks at times want to be safe. Um, and I think you, you have to push boundaries. And I'm a tinkerer. 
you know, and I'm looking for like, all right, how can I do this in a different way, as I was describing a little bit before we got started. And I think the other thing that comes to mind, you were making the sort of comparison with like artists and like how, like where they're sort of listed, where they're sort of bucketed or have you. I immediately started thinking of coffee, right? Um, I look at coffee shops and I think if someone has their, they do their own roasting, I classify them differently as someone that just, I get beans from this place and I have this sort of ambiance. Oh, perfect. I think you're absolutely <laughs> Exactly. Like this is a Starbucks mm -hmm. and that this is, you know, this is a really nice coffee shop that's dealing with like, you know, small growers in Ecuador. You know what I mean? It's not the same thing. Yeah. You know, and and the reality is there's a palette for everyone, and and that's great. But I'm not going to pretend like Starbucks is the same as that amazing Ecuadorian coffee. You know right. what I? So yeah, I'm with you. So I, I've been in, in one of the things you you've, you said also that really got my I've had to pull up my, the book again because I've really been uh, into this uh, book, the uh, Death of the Artist book, and mm -hmm. uh, I enjoy that because it's like oh. I see these things happening around me and this this trajectory is happening and the sort of like um, art centers or what have you. And I think the conversation in the book is I'm audio booked out. That's the only way I can. Everything is audio for me. I love audio books. I'm a huge audio book fan. We, we, we'll be talking about that a little later, probably. Um, <laughs> I, I remember it was this talk around um, this part around like Philadelphia and Baltimore being sort of those secondary hubs that folks are like kind of gravitating toward. And I'm, it's funny because I'm doing a series of interviews that are, that's in Philadelphia and I'm based in Baltimore. So I'm seeing it in real time and a place that's a little further ahead from, from your vantage point, where do you see like this, the certain like art centers, like where's the, the very truly interesting stuff being made, whether it be location, whether it be demographically speaking. Yeah. You know, I think at the end of the day, the centers are still holding in the way they are. And not not because I think there's a, uh, I mean, I think the realistic reason is just in these big hubs, there's just more diverse ways of making money, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's part of the issue. Like in Philadelphia, yes, you can teach at a school, you maybe, but you can't really sell art in Philadelphia very much. Like there isn't a huge market. You still have to show elsewhere, right? Mm -hmm. And if your gallery is in New York, it's just easier to be close. That's just the reality of it. Yeah. Um, so I think what I'm seeing is there's definitely a lot of artists that are going more disparate places, but they're still feeling connected and technology is allowing them to stay connected with, uh, with, um, with these different things. The other thing is the one positive thing about crypto, because um, I think there's been a lot of negative about crypto, is that places like when I was in a panel a few, a few months ago um, uh, that was based in Berlin, you know, like you had people from Kigali and Rwanda and like Manila and Philippines sort of saying like, well, that's really helped us make a living, yeah. you know, because now we can sell and, and swap work in a much easier way. Um, so I think we're going to see a strengthening of these sort of wider networks, yeah. right? But I still think the the centers um, are holding because of just the diversity of making money. Like um, in New York, like why am I in New York? It is the biggest art center. Yes, it's not the one world capital, but it's still the biggest art center in the world. You know, so wh what does that mean? It doesn't mean that necessarily the best work is being made here forever. That's not what I'm talking about. It's, it means we have the auction houses, we have the schools, we have the art historians, we have the artists, we have the uh, media here, his yeah. headquarters here. We have like all those aspects that can allow you to make a living, right, in a different way. Like, hey, you can work at, you know, a gallery. There's 600 galleries in New York, you know, yeah. it's like, 
And I think the, that diversification has been really good for the field, but at the same time, the centers are still holding. So now at the same time, that's not to say that the diversity of work doesn't uh, mean that there's going to be a diversification of like geographies. So for instance, um, you know, we've definitely seen in the last few years, a real boom in black diasporic art, um, you know, partly driven by social realities and the social conversations that are beyond the art world, um, you know, but also because there's been decades of people working at it, right? Like, I don't want to say that it's just because like, you know, the protests or anything like that, that changed it. It's because, you know, there are art historians that have been working on this for decades and there have been artists that are working for decades and there are auction houses that have been trying to foster appreciation for certain kinds of work and there are different kinds of things that are factors that are going on so we're all just a small part of this bigger puzzle right, right? um but at the same time it, the, there are um there like I, I can't say like, oh, wow, there's a lot of great work just being made in Denver, you know, because I think Denver, yes, there's some good work being made there, yeah. but they're just as networked as everyone else. So, yeah. and most of the time artists aren't staying in one place anymore. So it's the altitude you know? at the end of the day. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. Playing um, in air. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so, so I think it's, I think the other thing is the, the, for some of us with like passports that can allow us to travel, um, you know, we're kind of moving around a lot more too. Yeah. Um, and that's also part of uh, this that I think like residencies are exposing artists uh, to different parts of the world. Um, I did a residency at Log Haven in Knoxville last year, for instance, that was a whole different art scene that I hadn't been exposed to. And I really love that, you know, and so, but at the same time, those artists are in dialogue, right, with artists in New York in a way that maybe 40, 50 years ago would not have been as prevalent, right? You're in Baltimore. Baltimore doesn't feel far at right. all anymore you know yeah. in the way that it even did maybe 20 years ago yeah and and, and that's the thing that and, and thank you thank you for for sharing that observation and your thoughts there because i i kind of struggle with it where you know i i see people that i interview people that i talk to trying to be very cognizant of what's the scene and especially when like basil was going i was like oh let's let's see who's who's open for an interview and you know it's a, it's a different vibe and i was like if i were down there would I be able to network in a different way? Because I've gone to places and gone to events, conferences for this sort of networking vibe of who are the people to connect with? Because, you know, I think this is where that sort of journalistic thing comes in. Where's the story? Who's got things that are, are interesting? And in seeking it, and sometimes, you know, you sold a, a bill of goods that it just doesn't quite work and quite connect. And I'm like, I can't get an interview here. This is not the time or the place. I can hand out a card, but because we right. love tangible things, but it doesn't quite work in that way and i found that you know being able to at least it be around um and i think part of it is i've recently watched uh velvet buzzsaw so i'm kind of like oh yeah it's the top of mind right now my, right. My, my partner she was like you should watch this because i feel like you're around in this space a little bit more than you give yourself credit for yeah. but yeah it's you know being there with folks because i'm very like again going back to this idea that I'm not of it. I'm around it. I'm facilitating some of these things and just like, all right, that's where the cool kids wait, are at. Wait, I, I'm going to push back, Rob. Please. How, how are you not part of it? Uh, I I don't know if I am. I don't think I've earned it yet in that way. Why? I, what, who's going to give it to you? This is true. You're <laughs> this is, I mean, I, I, I just, I just want to point this out because we also work in a field where everyone thinks they're an outsider. Mm. 
And and yes, we're outsiders, but we're not. Do you know? It's like at a certain point, it's like no one's going to hand this to you. No one's going to hand you a form that says, "Okay, Rob, you're you're in it. You're in it to win it." My, it's in the mail. Know, it's coming soon. Like, right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you kind of have to claim it in a way. You know, it's like and and I I mean, I I don't know why you would say you're not part of it. You're absolutely part of it. Do you know? So and and I think when we say we're not part of it, sometimes we're giving up our power. And I see no reason for you to give up your power in that. And I mean, that's not to say that like we are the central part of the conversation around art, but we. But that's not. But that's not to say we don't influence it. No, Do you know, I, you're you're right, and and thank you for that. I needed that because. Uh... Yeah, I, I think sometimes we I, I definitely do this thing of ah, I'm nobody. And it's like, no, you're somebody. You're you're the guy. You're the guy to talk to. And yeah, I, I think I, I think you're you're right where you're all giving a piece of piece of that sort of power and this sort of acknowledgement away. And you know, with the whole manifestation angle, when you you put that out there, it's like, yeah, why should I listen to this person? He doesn't think he's good or whatever. I mean, I think, I mean, like, why am I on your a podcast? It's because I was like, here's someone who's serious, who's clearly taking this seriously, having serious, interesting conversations, also being light about it sometimes. And, you know, and I was like, and people respond to that, right? I didn't need to see your CV. I didn't need to see what you did for the art world. Do you know, that's not, that's not, that wasn't interesting to me. I don't care. Do you know? Um, so like, I just want to sort of say, this is how we support and validate each other yeah. to be like, okay, you know, I think what you're doing is really cool. I may not necessarily understand everything you're doing, but that's cool. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm along for the ride. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, so I, I got one last real question and then I got okay. these, these rapid okay. fire questions okay. that are ridiculous. Uh, so, sure. you know, I've read several times that, um, that artists need time to just like mess around and not do anything. And I, you know, to quote that, uh, book on that book creativity, right. People yeah. just, who, people who keep themselves busy all the time are not really creative. What are your thoughts on those sort of like observations around like this convergence of being creative, pushing out content versus art and this sort of hustle mindset that people are pushed toward? Yeah. Ooh. Well, you asked me this question at a perfect time because last, <laughs> yeah. oh. last year I took I last year I took a three month sabbatical, the first break I'd ever taken. And it's probably the um, first three months I've ever had off in my life, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was like, it was a big, it was a big deal. Um, uh, and the thing that I realized one, we just have to remember that some of us hustle because we have to, right? Yeah. Like there was no, there was no way we could have built hyper allergic if I didn't hustle and work seven days a week. Just wasn't going to happen. You know, now, thankfully I don't work seven days a week, but like uh, at a certain point that was kind of necessary. So I think hustle with a purpose is great. Yeah. You know, but what the problem is, I think a lot of us are hustling with no purpose in mind, and it just feels like it's sort of endless, do you know, and that's when it becomes Sisyphean, right? Like we're always pushing the rock up the hill, and then it's sort of like, and we're down at the bottom of the hill again, you know, <laughs> and it's like, and we're pushing it up again. And, and I think, um, I think the hustle is, is really sort of deadly. And I think that's when we get burned out. Right. Um, but I think as long as we have a goal in mind and realistic expectations to what that would be, right? I think there's nothing wrong with hustling because that's unfortunately some of us that don't come from certain privileged backgrounds like have to do, you know, like yeah. like if you don't have enough money for something, that means you're gonna have to do it yourself, do you know? And, yeah. and you're just gonna have to do it. And this is where like, we don't wanna get caught in that cycle, which is so deadly. Um, and I don't think, and, but at the same time, we need time to dream, 
and we need time to like imagine new things and we have to like figure out ways to get rid of them right um and and figure out how uh we're going to function with them um to give you an idea like during my sabbatical when i finally had a break here i thought like because i'd been i've had bad sleep most of my life and um and especially the last 10 years and i thought it was related to work uh because you know you think okay busy it's work stressful job whatever and i realized that it was like during my break that it had nothing to do with work and there was other stuff going on and i just dealt with that but if i hadn't taken a break it wouldn't have helped me understand what's going on right in our own lives and in our own relationships to things and our own love of art um i was able to go explore ruins in new mexico that like really expanded my mind in many ways yeah. you know and 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 those breaks are what replenish us sometimes and i think that's one thing as artists and curators and and people in our field we don't appreciate enough is is like those breaks and those like we're often the people going out into the world and finding things, right? And finding new aesthetics and finding new ideas and finding these. That takes time and it takes a certain sensitivity so that we don't just like bring it back and make it a commodity immediately, right? And that that is a deadly cycle um, that unfortunately I think some people are stuck in, right? Where it's always about like going out and like bringing back this thing that you can kind of be like, you know, with bells and uh, whistles on and sort of like make it into like a thing. Um, and I want us to like sort of take a break and take it a little slower. But at the same time, I'm not a huge fan of this idea of slowness because I think some of us are just into fast. Do you know, like, I think that's a thing, you know, like, and I think we process differently. We're all different. Some of us are neurodivergent. Some of us aren't, you know, all these types of things. We process things differently. So I don't also want to make it a one one uh like solution sure because i think this is sort of like um the hustles for some people some types of work work really well that way for whatever reason be maybe it's part of their whole concept and their uh their ideas but then other people no they're making like three paintings a year and that's their thing and they're incredible and they want to slow down and sort of not be engaged in the hustle at all. Some people want to keep their day jobs and they want to do the work on the side so it doesn't get like, you know, sullied or whatever. Right. I mean, you know, I love using the example of the graffiti artist Revs here in New York. Mm -hmm. He's been a huge figure for 30 years and he's a giant in the field. He's never sold a single work and he refuses to. Wow. And he's done work. He he like welds things to like fences in new york he did he's written his diaries in the tunnels of new york he's done all like you know you even see it on this on the high line one of his big uh roller pieces is right by the high line and you know and he just refuses and that's not because it's just it isn't what he wants to do right mm -hmm. he just makes work he has a day job he makes his work when he wants to puts it in the context he wants to he's happy it's, it's freedom Yep, that's right. For him, that's freedom, right? It's like he's not interested in that hustle. Yeah. Thank you. And he can easily sell his work. People have been dying to buy his work, but he, they're not interested. That's 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 great. It's, it's a lot. It, like I'm gonna listen to this episode a couple of times. I, I can already see it because I'm I'm getting so much. It's like just different crumbs falling into my hands. So so thank you, <laughs> thank you but, for but that. See, this is because you're a good interviewer. Well, thank you. <laughs> so like this is, but this is like I'm just sort of like I want to remind people with these things because it's like you know we're all part of a community and we have to support each other, right? Like an, a, a healthy ecosystem is going to help all of us. It's not a winner take all scene at least not in my world.
you know? And it's just like, so it's like, even the kind of questions you're asking, like, I love them. Thank you. I mean, I'm here, so keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 here we are, though, at this, this, this juncture where um, all of the goodwill that I've established here with these sort of meaningful questions now going to go out of the window with these rapid fire questions because oh, they are goofy. I can't wait. I can't wait. Okay, bring them. All right. Uh, so I got I got I got a couple of them. Uh, so very, very quickly um, for you. Have you gotten further with uh, street smarts or book smarts? Ooh. That's a good one. I think Street Smarts. Street Smarts. Street Smarts is almost undefeated. It's only been one person when I've asked this question who's actually picked Book Smarts. Yeah, so I think Street Smarts. The streak continues, um, both figuratively and literally. Uh, cannonball into a pool or dip in your know, toe into a pool. Cannonball. Okay, I like it. I like it. <laughs> I like the belly flop. Just go like just stomach first. Like look everything. Yeah. Like oh, what's yeah. a podcast? My stomach's on a microphone. It's great. It's, 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 Love it. Love it. Uh, name a superpower you would like to try for twenty four hours. Ooh, um, oh, that's a good one. That's tough because I I grew up reading comic books and superhero stuff. So it's like there's so many cool superpowers out there. Um, I would love to be able to fly. I think flying is sort of undefeated in that. But like I, I want to be able to like be able to fly anywhere yeah. for like, you know, just for a little while. But 24 hours, I don't know. Would I even be able to get around the world? I don't know. <laughs> it's like you can fly, but very slowly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But you I, know, at but, that point, you're like, okay, I'm over ocean for like half the time. What's the point? You know, it's like, oh no, my powers are gone. Twenty four hours. <laughs> That's right. I like, and he was never seen again over the over the Pacific. <laughs> but it absolutely tracks, though, in terms of what you were you were saying earlier about checking out the ruins in New Mexico. It's like you're being able to explore and see more things in flight. If right. it, the other move would maybe be teleportation or something, do a little night crawler move. That would yeah. be fun. You know, I think that would be the other is like the power to change people's minds. That would be kind of like, fun. <laughs> It'd be like you, you should. <laughs> you have confidence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thank you. Um, no, that's a good artwork. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> don't don't keep working on it. <laughs> stop now. <laughs> What is something, and it's funny that because, you know, what we just mentioned, what is something that without fail makes you laugh? Ooh, um, ah, here, actually, this is kind of relevant to our conversation a little. What makes me laugh now is when I go to art schools and 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 everyone wants permission to do something. Mm. Like, I feel like that makes me laugh. Like, it's like, I was like, who am I to give you permission? Do you know? Like, right. I was like. It's like, I, I remember once, like one artist was telling me about this really tragic thing with their parent, one of their parents, and like asking me my opinion. And I had to sit them down and said, first of all, we've met 20 minutes ago. Like, who cares what I think about your parent? Like, right. no offense. Like, why are you even asking me this? And it makes me laugh a little because I'm like, have we really created a field with so many insecure people that everyone's like asking each other, like what, what, you know, if they should be able to do this, I was like, just do it. Like who's going to anyway. So that makes me laugh because the, the reason it makes me laugh is because it's so prevalent and you yeah. hear it again and again. And you're like, okay, here we are again. How are we <laughs> like, going to get this? 
I, I want that like almost 1980s level confidence of I'm the best thing that's ever happened right? <laughs> and just kind of go through the whole thing um yeah well I mean that's dangerous too the narcissism could be really like toxic. somewhere in the middle somewhere yeah, in the middle exactly exactly I'm with you I'm with you so here's here's the last two I got for you. Um, we we touched on it a little bit earlier. Um, you, you mentioned you're an audiobook guy as well. So um, what was the last audiobook that you've like completed? Because I just go over and over again. Yeah, actually, I uh, Ra, uh, Raquel Gutierrez's Brown Neon, which I put on the top list of our best art books of the year. I love that book. I thought it was fantastic, and I love that they're the ones who read it. You know, and I love when an audiobook and they're the person who's reading it. Um, so that's, I think, really amazing. Um, so, you know, I think there, I mean, uh, there are other books too, but I think that's the most relevant art one right now. But I, I go through them a lot. I, I love them so much. I did that. Uh, what is it? Uh, what is it? Uh, Audible. It's like, let me get my full year, 24 books. Right. And I just, just go through it. And you know what I'm like lacking um, in terms of like having like ideas or what have you or feeling like a little stuck. I'll put on like Austin Cleon's, like all three of them, or I'll put on Rafi Perez's joint. And that's, I get something from it. I get something that is like, where's my notepad? I got questions now. Yep. I'm also listening to one now about comics by this uh, fr uh, French uh, historian, and it's about the history of American comics, um, comic books and things. And I'm blowing my mind. You know, comic uh, audiobooks are incredible for this. I mean, for those of us who take the subway or like, you know, get around the city by walking, you can't you can't beat it. Yeah, um, that's all I do. All I do is walk everywhere and then I even walk when I'm in the gym. Where's the treadmill? Let me get on here. And um, it's now to a point where I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts as much. I listen to audio dramas. So they have all of the Spotify has all of the old um, Twilight Zone episodes. So yep. I listen to those. I was like, oh, where is it going to get problematic? So some of them from the 60s. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. Like, oh, oh, that's yes. a little rough. That's right. <laughs> yep, that's right. So this is the last one I got for you. And um, I think before we got started, I talked about somebody I have a similar energy to um, the Lawrence Fishburne energy thing. Yeah. And um, I have like a list of celebrity doppelgangers for you. Who is your celebrity doppelganger? You know, I don't know who my celebrity doppelganger is, to be quite honest. Um, you know, I don't know the because the only time ever that I could see maybe a little bit was once somebody in Times Square stopped me and thought I was Adam Sandler, I think, was it Adam Sandler or someone? I don't remember who it was like now, but I was just like, and I had to look them up and I was like, oh yeah, I guess kind of, you know, like one of those things, <laughs> you know, but I was just like, mm, I guess it depends on like the way your hair is that day or, you know, whatever it is, but I don't really know. I don't, I don't know. Is there someone that reminds you of me? I would um, love, love him. Is there anybody? Um, it's, it's a glorious head of hair. So I'm getting a little Tim Burton. Ah, nice. Okay. I could see that. Yeah. I could, you know what? I could totally, cause especially the way he looks now. Yes. <laughs> yes. I could totally see that. So. <laughs> Thank you for figuring out my doppelganger. <laughs> there you go. Um, this this is this has been uh, a true pleasure, um, and thank you so much for for coming on and, and spending some time with me. And uh, I want to again thank you and invite and encourage you to tell the listeners where they can check uh, you out, social media, hypoallergic, all of the things. The floor is yours. 
Well, I just want to say thank you so much. Um, I think it's been really great. Um, and yeah, people can check out Hyperallergic at hyperallergic.com. And my social handles are all V, so H-R-A-G-V, um, pretty much on most social networks. So you can find me on there. And, and feel free to reach out and, uh, you know, always always enjoy having conversations but i always temper that with real making people realize you know we're all really busy so it's if you're if i don't respond to something just realize and this is true probably of most people it's just because there's something more priority at the moment yeah. <laughs> you know personal or otherwise and and i think people sometimes forget that that we all have really complicated lives um and you know and personal lives and all that sort of stuff so Lo lo love what you're doing and thanks so much for having me on thank you um and there you have it folks for the folks listening out there um i'm rob lee for Hrog bartanian saying that there's art community culture art critics art writing in and around your neck of the woods you just gotta look for it